Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. What's up, everybody? We're going to talk about reticles today. And with us to talk about reticles, you got Jimmy and Mark here and another Jimmy and Nick. Jimmy and Nick have been on before. Jimmy was in the Reloading podcast and Nick was in the PRS podcast. And so these guys know quite a bit about shooting. They've been shooting for quite some time combined between them. We didn't check on this before we did the podcast, but I'd venture to guess it's a many number of years. At least three um, or four. Right, right. <laughs> and, and working here, too, they've both worked here for a, a fair bit and have had their fair share of questions because both of you have been, Jimmy still is, and Nick, actually, your role transitioned a bit, but both of you have been on the phones quite a bit. You bet. You know, just answering questions all day. And, You've probably answered as many questions about reticles as rounds you've fired. I would yeah, imagine. Uh, on a daily basis, you, you do get a lot because we have so many different reticle options and people want to know why we do, you know, why we do this reticle for this optic and, and what reticle suits my needs best. And yep. you get that mm-hmm. quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. So, and we get tons of them on social media all the time. So we figured we're all primed and ready to talk about this. Maybe, uh, maybe help out some people who are in the jungle of various different reticles out there. So even just within our own line, we have quite a few. And we're going to go into those. One thing that I was curious and I was going to ask you guys about, because I know that either either some of us have been in on the pre-development process or we've then kind of had our, our meetings before a product gets launched with, with different reticles and things like that. What is it that goes into, on our end, choosing the reticle style that'll go into a certain scope? Well, there's a lot of things. Um, you know, when we, when we determine what that optic is going to be used for, most of the time that reticle has to be geared for that a uh, specific set of circumstances, you know, hunting versus maybe tactical versus, you know, close-up shooting versus long-range shooting. And then also what our customers want to see out of us. We get requests constantly, what people want to see our reticles either to look like or general, hey, you know, why don't you guys do this? Or I love that you guys do this. So being able to take all those, you know, that input from our customer base is super important in that process. Yeah, because the reticle really is, I mean, a lot of times people talk about optical quality, and, and it makes sense to talk about it, obviously, in any optic, but especially binoculars, spotting scopes, things like that. But in a rifle scope, in any kind of optic that's going to go on your rifle to also help you aim, there is another image that you're seeing through that optic, and it is the reticle. So if you don't like it, then you're going to always be looking at it, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. and you're going to always have to use it. So there's a lot of development time that goes into into making these things and choosing what goes in to each each scope and it could be as simple so let's let's just start out we're just going to go down kind of the list we'll start from more simple reticles and then we'll kind of get more complex because reticles can play way more of a role than just you know being a center crosshair mm-hmm. there's there's mm-hmm. a ton more that they can do but let's let's start i mean because like there's the duplex style reticle we call it a v-plex and that's just straight up Literally a vertical and a horizontal line meeting together in the middle. And that's pretty much all you're going to use that for, right? I mean, for the most part, it's just anybody who wants a simple reticle. That, yeah. That's basically yeah. why someone would want that, right? They don't want any clutter at all. Yeah, I mean, I'd say that's generally you're going to find that in a more, well, not always, but, you know, a traditional, you know, hunting setup, fairly, I should say close, but not not insanely close. I mean, you're definitely going to be set that 300 yard mark, you know, possibly beyond if you, you know, know your holdovers or kind of get, you know, intimately familiar with that. But the beauty of that reticle really lies in its simplicity. Right. Not, not a whole lot to think about. Put mm-hmm. it on, hold for hair probably, and, you know, yep. let her rip. We used to have the target dot. You remember that? that oh, was yeah. A duplex mm-hmm. That with was a tiny, tiny yep. little dot. That was, a, that was a sweet. I don't even Sweet care medical. that I'm talking about it, and a lot of people probably didn't know about it, and that they might message in and say we should make it again, because <laughs> I hope our product development team hears that. Target yeah, we, dot. we actually still get that quite a bit. Hey, how come you guys don't have more of a target dot optic? And, and I mean, there's reasons behind it, but I mean, we get the question a lot yeah. still. Mm-hmm. I'm quite, I mean, I'm quite certain that the number that we sold was very small. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Be, uh, you know. Well, the, I don't know if you remember, but so we had those. It was in the, uh, the 6.5 to 20 by 50 and... 44 Viper series, right? right. Uh, 30 millimeter tube, phenomenal optics, still in the lineup with uh, with the mill dot, BDC, or mill dot and BDC. Yep. Uh, but we discontinued that basically due to sales demand. Like people 
you know, weren't super into it. So mm-hmm. we kind of blew them out. They ended up in a lot of folks' hands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We were out of them. People were screaming for the Targa dot. And yeah. And it, it wasn't yep. necessarily, it wasn't even the price. People, you know, they right. came into contact with the reticle. They used the reticle. Their buddy used the reticle, you know, but it just, it wasn't enough to keep it alive, though, which is kind of a sad deal. I do think that happens a lot with reticles. Because I think you get so, I, there's so much stuff to look at online when you see pictures of these things and they're in their little, you know, circular tiny image at the top left of your computer screen you're looking at it and it's just it's not easy to understand until you really put it into context yep yeah um, I mean, it's a completely different thing looking at a diagram online too i mean in, in comparison to actually looking through the optic and, and using it in person sometimes you find that there's things about an optic or the reticle in an optic that you do like or maybe there's things that you, you look at and you're like you know i really wish that wasn't there <laughs> you know so right. it, it's not mm-hmm. something that you'd know until you actually use it Right. Now speaking, so we started out, like I said, simple. Now let's go to I've the, got wait, oh, I've got yeah. one I've got one more addition Please to the do. standard duplex. Please do. They're generally a little bit heavier reticle. So if you find yourself in low light situations where you're not talking about like you'll hair. feel this in your arms carrying it around. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> you're talking about a coarser <laughs> it's a thicker bar. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, so good you've for got, brushy conditions. You yeah. It's gonna stand off contrast. really well. Yeah. Okay. Right. Now then next up would be probably the BDC. Or at least in, in our line, that's probably the next. You're getting a little bit more information, but still staying fairly simple. Now, I think that the common misconception with the BDC is that you can't use it as a simple duplex still. I mean, it's, it's, it's different in that it has those extra hash marks. So I understand some people say, oh, well, it's, it's just, it isn't just as simple as it can be. You know, but you can still use it as a center crosshair. But it just has Absolutely. the additional the additional hash marks on the downward vertical stadia and then some on the horizontal, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mark's looking at me like he's like, oh, man, don't diss the, don't diss the duplex. No, man. <laughs> I, the, the BDC, I mean, you make a really strong point there, right? Because you can use it as you would uh, a standard duplex, but you have the addition of, of the subtensions, which are going to be, you know, since they're designed around a general ballistics curve that's going to have... Uh, you know, commonalities with a wide range of cartridges, which is, you know, benefit a person is still going to want to, you know, go validate and see where, you know, my 30-06 might be different than Jim's 30-06 and Nick's 30-06. So, you know, your hits where those subtension markings or those bars are, you know, theoretically accurate might be a little bit different. You know, your 300-yard mark might be on at 320 or 280. Well, it's... A nice thing about that reticle, because it is based on uh, kind of an average or generalized ballistic curve, is if you look at a ballistic curve and kind of the anatomy of a ballistic curve, you you have um, a lot of similarities. And if you you set them all side by side, you'll see that they actually look very similar. It's just the scale changes. So, you know, you you might have uh, with one caliber that first hash mark might represent uh, 100 yards where the next one would be two or three or four and then uh, change the caliber or change your zero and then the first hash mark might be 150, then 250, then 350. You know, so it it works for so many different things by by adjusting your zero range or changing your caliber up. Uh, they just might represent something a little bit different than your last uh, setup was. Yeah, That's and, a good point. and we're kind of almost grazing the surface here of, of caliber-specific reticles, BDCs, which I want to get into, but I want to also... We're talking about ballistics here, which really, it, BDC, when you say that, you're saying it's ballistic drop component, right? Compensation. Compensation. Yep. Compensation yes, yeah. compensation. And so, yeah, you'll notice on that downward vertical stadia that the lines won't seem evenly spaced, right? So they start out, that first line is closer to the center crosshair than the second line is to the first bar, mm-hmm. right? So they they space themselves out as they go down, and that's just characterizing itself after the general ballistics curve, which is, you know, a bullet tends to start to have more drop further downrange. Yep. And um, generally speaking, they'll line up nicely with like, or I, when we say nicely, again, we'll get more into this, but they're, they're supposed to line up generally with 100-yard increments, right? At least our, I know our dead hold BDC is kind of designed around that. For, category. for most, yeah. For, yeah, yeah on exactly. The, depends on the class of cartridges that you're trying to fit it into. But yeah. Yeah, it does. And so, you know, if you're using a muzzleloader, for example, that's probably not going to be the case. It's about 50 yards. Exactly, yep. exactly. And so it's interesting, though, how with a BDC, in many ways, 
those lines there, you're almost cer- you're almost certain to never actually line up perfectly with nice hundred yard increments. But what it gives you is it just gives you there's lines there and they correspond to a certain measurement, mm-hmm. and you can use those however you wish. Really, I mean, you can at some point your bullet is going to meet up with those lines as it drops over the course of time. And then it's, it's just kind of up to you to sort of figure that out a little bit as to where it is exactly. And that's, that's really when it comes, what comes down to dope data on previous engagements, which is when I shoot this rifle and I hold over on this second line, I might not be hitting exactly 200, but maybe I know that's like, you know, two. 10 and then Mm -hmm. you know if i have an animal pop out at 190 you know you can start to do that kind of just utilizing estimations yeah Yeah. it's close enough to be to be effective exactly might not be pinpoint but it's within an inch or two this way or that way and that's enough to get the job done on that certain mission right which you couldn't do with a duplex yeah one of the nice things about something like a bdc reticle i mean its entire purpose is, is to be simple but um you know, effective enough for the conditions in which you're shooting, you know, in hunting, you know, let's say you're hunting, shooting a white-tailed deer. Um, what's a, what's the vitals on a white-tailed deer? Eight inches? Eight to 10, I'd eight say. Eight to 10 inches. Yeah. I mean, so uh, if you have a deviation of an inch or two inches and you're holding center, well, you're, you're still going to hit the vitals of that animal. So it's effective enough for that scenario. And that's exactly what it's, that's, that's what the intention is. Right. Yeah, and, and, you know, being able to go out and determine what your ballistics are. I actually had a customer who um, who wanted to use our 2.5 to 10 by 44 Viper HS with a, a 300 blackout and subsonic. And he was hoping that we had a subsonic 300 blackout reticle. Well, that's pretty specific. But, you know, when I ran the data on it, it turned out every one of those hash marks were like 25-yard increments. So it happened to work out perfect. It just nice. wasn't 100-yard increments. It just happened to be like 25. Right. So Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now I can kind of start to bring up an excellent point where that dead hold BDC in this case is is one that's really kind of specked out for the hunter, right? And for for shooting purposes, I think that a lot of people like the idea of having these convenient holdovers where it's just kind of like, hey, all I got to do is just hold over on the next one at a different distance and bang, I hit the target. But what you were just getting at, Nick, was that it's still kind of an estimation game with that, unless you're unless you have some super duper custom kind of deal that's very very specific to one cartridge out of one rifle and one altitude and one yeah. you know all these that's just super it. I mean very specific details and so that's kind of where we get into caliber specific reticles a little bit in these BDCs you know you see a lot of a lot of new shooters I think getting into it and they're like man it'd just be nice to have this feature. But it's one thing that I, I know uh, I've I've explained, and and I actually pro- I think I at some point probably wish that I had a BDC for my six five Creedmoor too. But once you kind of realize, it's kind of like, hey, if if you ever want to shoot any different ammo, if you ever go from Wisconsin to Utah, or do anything like that, or change a barrel because you've finally burned yours out, wanted it shorter or longer, yeah, or something like that, then stuff's gonna change. And if somebody were to make, you know, like a like a vortex or whoever were to make a caliber specific reticle, and I know some are out there, and so I, you know, I'm not I'm not bad mouthing anything, but they're gonna have to use a general ballistics curve, which mm-hmm. yours will inevitably probably be different. You know, if you're shooting, if they're shooting out of a Tika six five Creedmoor, and you're shooting out of a Ruger American six five Creedmoor, and theirs has a twenty four inch barrel, and yours has a twenty two inch barrel, and they're at, you know, they're in Utah, and you're in Florida. There's going to be all these difference, differences, and, you know, you might get close-ish, but again, if we're talking, like, kind of more precise stuff or your target shooting, then where you started to talk about, you know, maybe missing an inch or something like that, that, that can start to make a difference. You know, like, uh, if, if you look at, like, our 5.56 five, PDC reticles, like in our Strike Eagle 1-6 to six and 1-8 to eight lines, those work really well with, a, like, something like a two twenty three or 5.56 five, because of the fact that that is a a pretty fast caliber and out to, you know, 300 yards, you have a lot of forgiveness. It's, there's a reason why you don't see a 5.56 BDC with a thousand yard line because you have, you know, a a subtle change in your atmospheric conditions and you're no longer going to hit your target. Mm -hmm. That, that's a, that's a good example of a caliber or a, um, a BDC reticle that does work pretty well and you see them a lot. Um, but it's also because of the type of shooting that most people are doing with that. 
you know, trying to hit an, an IPSC or a, a silhouette-sized target is not difficult because, you know, they're, they're quite tall or mm. quite and wide. And all you need to do in most of those cases is Make just hit. hit. You just need to hit the target. Yeah. yeah. And which Make is, it go ding. Yeah. So those are accurate enough for that application. It's, it's very application-based. Right. But then when we're talking more like precision rifle stuff, where you are going out to eight, nine, you know, 100 yards or 1,000 yards, that's where... You know, that's where you start talking about little little errors can make a big difference. And when you're sort of betting your chips on a general ballistics curve that isn't exactly like yours, well, then you're you're essentially setting yourself up to be making estimations off of general small exactly. errors. Yep. So that's kind of that's kind of one of the troubles there. But yeah, it's it is. I'm glad you brought up the uh, the Strike Eagle ones and the five five six BDCs. Because those are one like for instance in our line, I, I think that's the only caliber specific yep. reticle that we offer and yeah, yeah. i was going to ask so it, the um uh, the three the three x pitfire too that one's a that one's a, a five five six based one and actually t- i guess technically the jm1 bdc is based off jerry mitchellick's uh, oh right 200 yards mm-hmm. ago but right good yeah point. good point so those are going to be again like you said like in three gun competition guys will use those and and they're and they're a good option there so but now okay so we've talked we've gone over bdc's a little bit and the general idea with a BDC, again, to just kind of recap, is you don't have to dye your turrets. It's an, a general idea of where the bullet is going to end up. Probably not exact. If you're trying to be precise or exact, not exactly what you want to rely on. Now, as you move up in sort of complexity, so to speak, as just far as how it looks, I would say, then you start getting into your hash mark reticles and things like that, and maybe some more of your, your long-range rifle scopes, like I can think of. The HST in, in, in terms of like, you know, a next step up for maybe an entry-level long-range rifle scope. It has the VMR. Is that one? VMR1. VMR1. And that's a hash mark reticle. And in that case, those hash marks don't actually, they're all evenly spaced. Yeah. yeah. Like inches and centimeters on a ruler are evenly spaced. They're all evenly spaced. When we start talking about that, there's one thing that we should probably jump over first, and that is mill dot versus milliradian, and our uh, and having matched versus uh, match reticle versus uh, turrets and reticle not matching. Let's get that one. Go um, into it because that would be yeah. So I mean, we talk about a mill dot reticle, and a lot of people get confused with mill dot. They think military. They think because you know the mill dot reticle, like the original army mill dot um, with the circles. You know, that was widely used by the military, obviously. There's a reason why they use that reticle, and it's because it's easier for ranging with, or they used it for ranging. Those dots can be easily broken down. Uh, center from center dot to center dot, you're talking one milliradian. However, you divide that in half, you know, you have a, a tenth of a mil on each side of the dot, and then you have eight tenths in between. So you can, you can bracket that out for getting very accurate ranging. But the turrets traditionally did not match. They were in minutes of angle because people like to try to do that conversion over to inches. That's becoming less and less common now because, well, it just makes sense for them to be matched. Um, if you're going to be holding off or measuring in mills, why not dial in mills? So that's kind of like transitioning from old school to new school a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you see reticles looking more and more complicated because we're able, technologies allowed us to do more with these reticles. Like the mill, mill dot reticles are a wire reticle, not an etched reticle. Uh, the technology for etching reticles um, wasn't really perfected until, I want to say recently, but much more recently than wire reticles were. Right, and you can't make a wire float in midair. Correct. Like yeah. when you see a Christmas tree. Everything has to unquote. be connected on a wire reticle. Yeah, and it has to stay in fairly tight too. Yep. It can't extend out really far or else the wire might start drooping. So that, yeah, that kind of explains. That's a good point. I'm glad you brought that up because that's another one that I think a lot of people, based on movies you've seen or things that you've heard, you know, the mill dot was around for quite some time and it served its place. It absolutely did. And, you know, nowadays you can just get far more information out of of reticles these days. Yeah. Let's say for a a milling style reticle, there's there's another thing. So sometimes people say milling. Yeah. But you don't necessarily have to be using MRAD to describe no, milling, correct? No, yeah. Milling is, can somebody explain milling? Yeah, so uh, milling, um, and Jimmy might be able to make a minor tweak to this too, because sure. but it, it is measuring the target in correlation to the, the actual size of the target in a linear unit uh, to determine its range. Yep. 
Is that what you'd call those reticles? Like a like the VMR one? Is that like would you call it a milling reticle? Absolutely, kind of a colloquial description. Yep, just kind and of. For, and doesn't that actually stand for vortex milling reticle? Uh, the VMR. Yeah. I I want to say it does. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah you're it right. Does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. yeah okay. Milling reticle. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. But you know, I mean, and one thing to add to that though is you're ranging, or you're estimating the size of an object of known, known dimension. Size. Correct. Yes. Right. So you need to know, you know, the average width of. X subject that Absolutely. you're trying to yeah. range, and then you can you know make that calculation. Well, something that like uh, snipers have used for a long time is they will have their data book with them that's not just for recording shooting information, but it's also for recording field data. So if they know the the height of a pop can, they mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. they have that data written in their book, so they can quick do a mathematical Diameter. formula at a time. Yeah. Okay, that pop can's as far. The subject must be about that far as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, so that's you know, one tool that you, that can be used, and, and uh, that's kind of the reason why it has existed from from when it has. I'll tell you what I like: range finders. Range finders, yeah, <laughs> super handy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> much it, faster. They're they're much pretty more they're pretty quick, and you know that says a lot about you, Mark. Because in the reloading podcast, you suggested to uh, just Not go for reloading. boxes of twenty. <laughs> <laughs> simple man, yeah. Jim. Yeah. simple man. In order to in order to do a lot of the equations that people do with reticles and milling reticles and things like that, you basically there's three things you need to know. It's kind of like triangulation, and you need to know the distance. I guess in order to to really calculate everything out, or in an ideal situation, you would know all these three things. But if you only know two, you can find out the third. Mm-hmm. And you need to know the distance from you to the target. You need to know the size of the target. You need to know how the many MOA or mills observed. Right. And so we're going to start maybe talking about MOA and MRAD. Why yeah. not? Because that angle piece is a measurement that a lot of people aren't exactly used to. Distance from you to the target, yards, great. Height of the target, width of the target, inches, great. But angle that you need to shoot at in order to arc a bullet, you know, at that at that target or, or angle of the triangle that you make between those those lines of the triangle, if you will, um, in order to get the, the hypotenuse of the triangle between you and the target. That's where you start talking about MOA and MRAD. And I don't know about you guys, but when I was in school and I took geometry, they never talked about MOA and MRAD. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yep. Angular no. unit of measure. Yep. As opposed to, you know, a linear unit of measure is going to be an inch, a foot, a yard, something that has the same value. It, it's the same size, whether it's right in front of you or a mile away. You know, one inch is one inch. It, it doesn't matter how far away you are from it. It's, it's still one inch, right? One MOA or one mil, it is. It's an angular unit of measure. So closest to the origin, it's going to take up a much smaller linear value. And as you go further and further away, that that linear value is amplified. Mm-hmm. So to make an example, one MOA would subtend about 1.047 inches at 100 yards, at 100 yards. Come closer and it's less than that. Go further away and it becomes worth more inches, the same one minute of angle. Yeah. Okay, so 1.047 at 100, stretch that out to 1,000, and it's 10.47, right? Because you've multiplied the distance by 10, so you must also multiply the inches value that it's worth at that distance by 10 as well. And if you you know, you know look at mills, at 100 yards, one mill is roughly 3.6 inches. So at 1,000 yards, it's 36 inches or a yard. yard. Right, yep. right. And so like you mentioned... With the MOA especially, that's the one where people get most caught just saying one MOA equals an inch. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And it, oh, yeah. it, it roughly equals an inch at 100 yards. So like you said it was 1.04 something, something, something. Mm-hmm. Not enough of a difference for as good of a shot or bad of a shot as I am, <laughs> you know, to really make a difference. But as you start stretching it out, if we rely on that, and that's where I think people get bogged down a lot because it's, it's really tempting to want to try and convert it back into units of measure that you're super used to. Mm-hmm. But once you actually make MOA or MRAD a unit that you're super used to, it's like, oh, man, I'm so glad I don't have to think about that in inches or oh. centimeters or yeah, whatever yeah. anymore. It's just like, what a nightmare that is. You're yeah. totally right. I mean, I think initially a person could be inclined to be like, oh, this is, this is complicating things in my mind. But, oh, man, it's just going to simplify things for you. So it really much, is. So much yeah, it really is. I always like to think of it almost like, I guess the immediate thing that pops into my head is a traffic cone. If you look at the top of the traffic cone where it's skinniest, that's like you. That's like the end of your barrel. And as the traffic cone goes out towards the part that rests on the ground, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger because of the angle of the traffic cone. And so 
that angle of the traffic cone. The traffic cone doesn't look like uh, I don't even know how to. It doesn't have like a, this hourglassy reverse hourglass shape to it, where you know it gets bigger as you go down. It just has one angle. It's like if you look at it from the side, it looks like straight lines, one angle, and that one angle stays the same throughout the entire length of the traffic cone, but the traffic cone gets wider as you go down just because that angle is proliferating itself over a, a distance. Wow. I, I feel like I might have complicated it because <laughs> I brought traffic I was going to explain it mix. in terms of a piece of pizza, but sure. okay. I, I just pizza, pizza thing. You are at the tip of the pizza, <laughs> and the target is the crust. Well, who's going cutting? Towards the How crust. are they cutting, Jim? Yeah, are they yeah, squares, or squares or what? Yeah, Chicago style. Oh shoot! I like is this deep dish. I, yeah, I like my frozen pizza to be cut in squares, so I'm confused. Yeah, well, and then there's the people who eat their pizza backwards, and they're just really lost. Oh, mm-hmm. they just there. You can't you can't help them. That's true. Um, okay, so so they shouldn't, Emer- they shouldn't be using a firearm. <laughs> MOA and MRAD. Really, ultimately, what it boils down to is there are two different ways of doing the same thing, which is yep. measuring angles in order to make compensations for bullet drop. Or wind cor- drift. Yeah, or wind drift, make corrections, range your target, uh, do things like that. And yep. and really, what does it boil down to when somebody asks you, what should I choose? Because now that we're, again, we really haven't gotten into, like the, I keep mentioning the HST and the VMR1. We haven't talked about that reticle very much. Just because I think that a lot of times when people start seeing those things, it's like, oh, it's not a BDC. It doesn't do it for me. Now I have to do mm-hmm. all this stuff. Like, w- should I choose MOA or should I do- choose MRAD? Like, depends. The HST right. and the VMR1 reticle is actually a good one to kind of start talking about MOA and MRAD because it's available in both. And this is where that, that question kind of starts up. Which one do I choose? Mm-hmm. And so, Jim, I mean, I know I kind of have my own way of doing yeah. it too. And yeah. I'm sure that you probably do. When somebody says... Which one do I get? Which one do I which get? Which one's better? That's a better question. Yeah, yeah. You get that. Which exactly. one's better? Yep. Exactly. Which one do more people which use? <laughs> which one has finer adjustments, which I technically <laughs> think is MOA. MOA yep. is, yeah. But, yep. but anyway. Yeah, it, it depends. That's true. It's a common question that we get, and I don't think one is better or worse than the other. They're just two different ways of getting things done, getting the, the job done. I might ask them some more qualifying questions about, you know, what's their experience with firearms? Is this their first rifle that they're putting together or have they bought a bunch of stuff before and they're just wondering if they should be checking something else out? If they're used to, say, they're used to MOA, all the rifles are MOA and they just want to make sure they're not missing out, well, I might encourage them to just keep it consistent. Keep consistency. There's no need to relearn another system unless there's truly a need to relearn that system, like for what you're going to do with it depending on the sport you're going to compete in, you might find that there's a preponderance of minute of angle within this crowd. So if you're going to get into this, it's good to know that ahead of time because those shooters mostly use minute of angle. You know, Bentrest F-Class, you'd see minute of angle way more popular in Pretty those crowds. Very, yeah, extreme, Almost. extreme popularity there. So that'd be a good thing to know if you're getting into that sport. Precision rifle series I've found has become much more mills heavy, um, much more mills heavy. So if you're getting into a sport like that, maybe consider mills. If this is just a rifle that you're going to plink with on Saturdays, you're not competing against anybody but yourself. There's no shot timer there. You know, you're just banging steel, having a great time. Maybe just stick with what you've had before. Or if it's your first rifle, you have no experience with it. Maybe you're going to the range with a group of buddies and maybe they all shoot MOA or they all shoot mills. In which case, if you're indifferent, which one you choose, maybe just pick what they have. Because when you're shooting, they're going to be offering corrections. If you miss, Mm -hmm. they're going to say, well, you just missed by a half mil. And if you've got an MOA scope, you'll have to say, oh, hold on, wait. I've got a, <laughs> yeah, well, well, yeah. how does that how Wait work? a second, what is that in inches? <laughs> right. Or the other way around, right? Yeah. So yeah. I, I think it just makes sense to, you know, consider what you're actually going to do with it and then, yeah. you know, whether it's important to choose one or the other. And a lot of those scenarios you described, it's really just a matter of speaking the same language of, of the crowd that you're interacting it's with. about right. communication totally. with, what, with what you're doing, yeah. You know, if you go to a, uh, a PRS or a PRS-style match, I mean, you got a group of guys before the stage looking at the target, trying to figure out what their wind hold is going to be. Everybody's talking in tenths, yeah. and a tenth of a mil is usually. And and then you have that one poor guy in the in the squad who's like got his calculator out trying to figure out what everybody's saying. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like speaking different yeah. languages. Oh, it is speaking a different language. They're both angular units of measurement, but they're different angular units of measurement. It's just like when you start, hey, hey car reference coming up. 
It's just like when you start coming up <laughs> and you're talking to people over in like Great Britain or you're looking at a forum from Great Britain about vehicles and they're talking about like kilometers per hour yeah. and they're talking about, you know, centimeters and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, I have no idea. You might as well be talking Spanish. Yeah. Yep. You know, if you, I, we always try to preach to people, don't use linear units of measurement when you're working with your optic because optics are not made in linear units. They're mm-hmm, made in right. angular units. That's how they function. But, you know, that's that's why a lot of people end up choosing MOA because it does relate to inches easier. Mm-hmm. And it's it's quite common uh, among, I would say, the more popular crowds or I always may actually the more common crowds, you know, the hunters, the just going to the range guy. People wanting to convert that to inches is a big thing. If you ever want to convert mills to to a linear unit, do it in the metric system, you know, if you want to try it, because uh, a tenth of a mil is one centimeter at 100 meters. But we, again, we still try to stay away Dude, from... What the mm-hmm. heck is 100 one, meters? <laughs> right? I don't even know. And, then, and yeah. one meter at 1,000 meters. Yeah, it's one meter at 1,000 meters. So, Pretty clean um, that way. But. Yeah, that's, that's, that is a nice way of breaking down. That's why, that's why I personally use mills, because I like breaking things down in tenths. My brain works in tenths. Yeah. I, my brain gets confused when I start working in fractions. Oh, yeah, because then you have to find it. <laughs> and with, with MOA, usually you're talking about quarter MOA, half MOA, you yeah. know, sometimes an eighth of an MOA. And then you're yeah. trying to find all these common denominators where it's like, okay, one quarter is two eighths, is the, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think you're, you're kind of going back to when people generally <clears throat> make that correlation. They're like, well, it's an inch at 100 yards. Well, that's pretty, pretty darn close at 100, yeah. you know, but yeah. when you start to extrapolate that at distance, you know, the that theory you go. falls apart a little bit. And it's super know. difficult to convince a deer to stand at 100 yards every time you go out to that, you know. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> I've tried, you know, yeah. like flashlight signals. I've tried hand signals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just don't You use it. that flashlight at night. They'll generally stand there at 100 yards. Yeah, right. Did I just say that? <laughs> oh, man. Um Okay, I didn't but, say that. That's, no. that's a joke. <laughs> okay, quick, try and cover it up. Um, <laughs> MOA and MRED, though. So those are those are some of the things that go into choosing it. Yeah, I, I agree with with everything you guys said too. As far as as far as that goes, I usually do bring up the thing about the uh, the tenths and fractions because that can throw that can throw some people off. Mark Nick alluded to it too, and I was trying to remember after you dropped that uh, flashlight bomb. Um, <laughs> speaking of hunters, though, MOA is isn't a bad one to just no, okay, you know, at least if you're going to get into mills, maybe maybe at least like understanding MOA, because I think that MOA has been for many years like the traditional choice for hunting rifle scopes. And then a lot of times back in the day, I think a lot of hunting rifle scopes ended up getting used as target shooting scopes. And pretty much everybody was using MOA. And now, you know, mills have started to come in, but a lot of people still understand that. So again, like Jimmy said, there's that there's that social aspect of shooting and hunting where it's like if you're trying to talk to somebody, it's nice to be able to somewhat know their language, you know. Mm-hmm. I do think that more hunters these days have become more open to mills probably, and I think that that has something to do, and you can speak more to this maybe, but like the crossover of where hunters are getting into precision shooting and vice versa. You've got things like the Vortex Extreme where there's, you know, that is literally a combination of kind precision of shooting those things, and yeah. hunting. But I don't know if you have anything else to add there. Yeah, I mean, I think people are definitely getting exposed to it, right? You know, I think uh, back in the day or, or even still today in a lot of scenarios, it almost in some ways doesn't matter what a scope clicks in because a person's just getting that 100-yard zero, capping off their turrets, yep. and they're going to go hunt or shoot or engage in whatever activity. You know, they don't have that need to shoot at longer distances where some of the mm-hmm. stuff is coming in, coming into play. So, yeah, I think, you know, but as things have developed, you know, people are extending their effective range in any number of scenarios, whether it's PRS or, you know, a hunting situation where they're, they're trying to maximize the effect their, their personal effective range and, and the effectiveness of their cartridge, you know, they're getting exposed to that, that mill world and, and some people are adopting it. Some, some people aren't. So I think a lot of us are just naturally inquisitive and want to learn something new, I mean, that could mm-hmm. be reason enough to try something yeah. different. Yeah. Well, if it's even just to expand your, your education on, on something you enjoy doing, you know, if, if, you, if you love shooting, understanding what other people are doing or just expanding your horizon, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's a good thing to learn. It is. So now that we've, okay, we've gone on a little tangent, but let's get, <laughs> so back into reticles. Sure. We left off at the VMR1, because now we start getting into a reticle where the hash marks 
have no correlation to a ballistics curve. They are just like a ruler. And so now at this point, let's say somebody's figured out that they want MOA or MRAD. They kind of understand the fact that they're dealing in angles. How can this reticle actually help them potentially more than a BDC would have been able to help them? Can they still use it for holdovers? Like, how does it maybe maybe dive into utilizing those new features? Well, uh, usually with a uh, like something like our VMR one reticle, the, those spaces are close enough together where if you you know, you, you do use a ballistic solver to tell you, okay, well, you need to be 2.5 minutes of angle or 2.3 mils. You can easily extrapolate between those lines where you need to be holding. So not having a BDC doesn't mean that you can't use alliance or holdover because you certainly can. And, and I mean, competition shooters and, and hunters alike that use that type of reticle do it all the time. Yeah, I, I think that... Uh, the nice thing about that is that they are kind of dynamic. And when you start getting into really long range and, and you start exploring ballistics and, and you know, the changes that atmospheric conditions can actually have on that ballistic curve, the less beneficial a BDC is. And that's really, it's kind of like you take a, a 308, just as an example. Once you get past about 450, 500 yards, then the changes in your atmosphere start playing a larger and larger role on uh, where that bullet's going to go. So, uh, having that BDC reticle becomes less beneficial after that range. Um, so now looking at something that's more evenly spaced, that is just reference marks that can also be used for milling a target, uh, super handy. Mm-hmm. Finer increments are also more beneficial for milling a target because to speak more strength to what you said, you're more closely able to tell, hey, where exactly does the edge of that target line up with? If you know your spacings are you know three or four m away from one to the other, and these are only you know two m away apart, it's much easier to tell. Hey, where exactly does that line up? Mm-hmm. So you get a more accurate calculation that way. Well, and you can even you know if you're able to see your splash, calling mm-hmm. your own shots. Yep. You know, true. Or you know if somebody else is, has a similar reticle or you know it's in the same subtensions, I mean they can assist and call. It your definitely shots. definitely helps. Yeah, it definitely gives you a little bit more of a reference point. One hundred percent. It does. I'd be curious, what do you guys primarily use a reticle like this? Let's just say the VMR1. What do you primarily use it for? Do you primarily use it for holdovers? Do you use it for spotting your shots? Or do you use it for milling? Windage holdovers for me. I prefer to dial my elevation at distance. Takes takes one piece of, out of the equation. I like to dial my correction for elevation, and that way I'm using the center of the crosshair as my aiming point. And then from there, it's it's a direct left or direct right holdover for windage. So cool. Yeah, your use of using that horizontal stadium line for windage is, I mean, having those reference point. And actually, we didn't really talk about it, but on our dead hole BDC reticle, we actually do have hash marks. And I believe it's two MOA increments mm-hmm. going left and right for uh, holding off for uh, wind, which is when you start getting into long range is extremely important. In fact, I would argue it's probably the most difficult part about long range shooting is being good at calling the wind which we don't really need to go down that road too far. But um, the uh, what I personally use it for the most, besides Jimmy's point of wind, uh, when you're actually starting to shoot your rifle out in the field and, and taking shots at longer range targets, when you're zeroing your rifle, because your turrets are, you know, let's mm-hmm. say you're using a minute of angle rifle, turrets are going to be a minute of angle. So I take my shot. I see that, okay, I'm two minutes of angle by measuring with, with my reticle. I'm two minutes of angle right. So I dial my turret two minutes of angle left mm-hmm. and now I'm in the center of the bullseye you know so it alleviates able- that well you're about uh, you know <laughs> yeah. the back and forth like no I measured it hold that's, on that's what that is let's right. go and cold the- on the range and walk through <laughs> yeah. Yeah. measure it <laughs> with the tape measure, measure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but yeah I mean it, and it's the same kind of thing where and this is I think this is where where it really comes in handy being in a, an angular unit of measurement because if I try to do that at 200 yards, and now now those are no longer inches, <laughs> you know? So, and uh, my turret dials in the same increment that, that my reticle is in. Right. Yeah, so no matter what range I'm at, if, if I'm at 100 yards or 200 yards or 1,000 yards, if I measure it and it says two minutes of angle, if I dial it two minutes of angle, the crosshairs are going to go to where I was measuring it to. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. that's where it really Angular shines. Angular measure, they always stay the same no matter what distance you're at. But Uncomplicates things. It really people, does. People get confused right away, but once once they understand it, they're like, wow, that was way easier than I made right. it out to be. Like, <laughs> you can't, can't even iterate it enough. Like, if you're shooting at 500 yards and somebody tells you you're five inches off, then you'd be like, 
okay, first off, well, did you get out there and go down with a tape measure and measure that? <laughs> yeah. Second off, you know, it's kind of like, well, that's kind of like one MOA because it's like five-ish inches at 500 yards. But I know by the time I'm at 500 yards, you know, that .047 has also multiplied itself five times, you know. And yeah. so then you're kind of like doing all this stuff. And then it's just like, dude, just look in your rifle scope. There's a ruler like yeah. there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I use, you know, I use... You know, my reticles and turrets really similar to Jim. I mean, if I can dial and I've got the time to dial, I definitely want to dial Absolutely. and essentially hold that on, and I'll, and I'll hold my wind on the reticle. I guess a caveat to that would be, though, would be maybe a follow-up shot, where if I execute a shot and Nick says, mark your two MOA low, instead of, like, possibly, you know, pulling my head off the gun to make that adjustment yeah. or even, you know, taking the time to make that adjustment, I can just stay, you know, on the gun, in the scope, and make that adjustment with the reticle. Good point. That is a good point. The way I like to use mine the most is a way that, a thing that I'm actually terrible at, uh, which is spotting for, like, I actually get a huge kick out of the partner aspect of the Vortex Extreme. And mm-hmm. when you're up there and there's somebody next to you shooting and you're using your reticle to spot for them, I think that is a ton of fun, even though I'm awful at it. But when somebody else, and I know I've mentioned a couple times, the social aspect of shooting, when somebody else is there with you and they have the same, they're using the same measurements, and you can watch their shot, see where it hits, and if they miss and you're trying to help them out, be able to call out to them based on what your reticle says, say, hey, come over this many or come down or up or whatever this many, and then they can make that adjustment and then hit the target, that's cool. And they could be using a different style of reticle. They could be using a different brand of scope. They could be using anything. And as long as your reticles are in at least measuring in that same mm-hmm. measurement, you can both be successful. I, oh, just, yes. I think that's pretty fun. No, that's super cool. Well, and then you talk about just, you know, using it for sight. And heck, you could be shooting a duplex reticle at the range. I'm helping you get a zero. And I can still measure and be like, hey, click two MOA to the left or two MOA up. You don't have that in your scope, but right. I know exactly how far you need to move because I've measured you know, your bullet impact from, you know, the attended impact. And as turrets, when they when they move the reticle, they're moving it in the same measurement style. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, in that case, then you're good. Because turrets and reticles are really two ways of doing the same thing yeah. also in many yep. ways. So, yeah, there's that. Now, as we start to get a little bit more complex, this is where we start moving into, like, first focal plane stuff. And first focal plane, we have a podcast for those listening too. We have a podcast specifically dedicated to first focal plane versus second focal plane. So we won't take a ton of time there. But why is it that reticles in first focal plane oftentimes have, they got Christmas tree dots, they got, like, they're just more complex looking than second focal plane rifle scopes. Why don't those have Christmas trees and things like that? First focal planes usually have that stuff because they can. Uh, simply put, um, you <laughs> can't... Because I'm a first focal plane. <laughs> no, I mean, because you can't you can't put Christmas tree dots on a... Well, you could on a second focal plane, not necessarily, but a, a lot of second focal plane reticles are wire reticles where you cannot have those floating dots in the space. Even um, if they were glass etched, though. Yeah. Would you want it, though? You go back to the same <laughs> set of rules. Hey, yeah. I got to be on the correct magnification or none of this yeah. is going to work. It's, I mean... Yes and no. Um, so, gosh, yeah, yeah that's <laughs> certainly more helpful to have it on a first focal plane reticle yeah. because a lot of the times where people are using the Christmas tree style reticle, one example would be the Precision Rifle Series yeah. game, right? So you are shooting, you got to hit the 300 yard, then the 450, then the 600, tag that one at 1020, and then come back and shoot the 200 yard mover, right? And so when you have to go back and forth and change you're changing magnifications you might start lower so you can find the first target quicker right and then you might dial up for a further shot all the while you need to know that your wind references whether you're holding over on the on the grid like down below or along the main axis you need to know that all of your hash marks are going to be correct throughout that change in magnification so you get the full benefit of having that reticle design on a first focal plane reticle much more than you would on a second focal plane. So the, the value might get lost a little bit on a second focal plane reticle. Correct. Well, yeah. in a dynamic scenario like you're talking about there, where you are engaging multiple targets in rapid succession, and, and maybe you're trying to do that on the clock, or maybe you are in a scenario where time is of the essence, but you are changing those magnifications, you may want to 
shoot off your reticle entirely, or maybe your you know your spotter is calling out those distances. And like I said, mm-hmm. when time is of the f- essence, you can use your reticle to make all those corrections. Yeah, you know, you look at like our Gen Two uh, Razor four and a half to twenty seven. Um, that has a very large field of view, but when you're on twenty seven power, if you're on let's say a hundred yard target. Try to quickly locate and transition to a target at, you know, 700 yards. It's, it's a bit difficult on that magnification. Mm-hmm. But if I needed to take a shot at close range and then quickly transition to something long range, I'm going to back out the magnification. And if you're at that long range shot and you need to do this quickly and you don't have time to dial, this is where that Christmas tree really comes in handy. I can hold over and then I don't have to hold in dead space to compensate for wind. Nope. I actually have a reference mm-hmm. point. And even if that reference point doesn't perfectly line up with where my bullet needs to go, you know, if I need to pull that reference point at the very top of the target or to the left of the target, I still have a point to hold on. So it's 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 not that extrapolation that you normally get from something that does not have that type of system. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things too is, you know, you hear a fair amount of shooters, especially especially I'd say folks maybe who are are starting to get into it a little bit more, they'll look at a first focal plane rack and be like, "Whoa, man, there's a lot going yeah, on in there." Yep. And, you know, once you start to get used to it and understand why it's there and how to use it properly, I think usually that feeling kind of goes away and you kind of just focus on what you need to focus on in the mm-hmm. reticle. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, but with a second focal plane reticle, I could actually see how it would be kind of cluttered, especially when, let's say I'm on a 624 second focal plane, it, if for some reason it did have a big giant Christmas tree reticle. Well, I can't, that's all just noise. I can't use any of that until I'm on that calibrated magnification. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like, and plus too, who knows, like if I'm in the heat of the moment, I might all of a sudden be like, oh, I got a Christmas tree. There's a hole over there. And then be like, oh shoot, I was way off because I'm on 12X, Mm -hmm. you know? Well, and, and the amount of subtensions that are on something like, and we keep on calling it Christmas tree reticles. Honestly, I don't know what else to call it. (laughs) It, It's fine. I know, but, um. If you did that in a second focal plane, let's say that, let's say that we had a, a five to twenty-five second focal plane with that reticle, and I need to utilize that scope on let's say ten power, or we'll make it more difficult nine power. If I actually need to utilize those subtension lines, I have to do a little bit of math, and now that's a lot more numbers or a lot more subtensions that I have to to know where to calculate for and. It's just a lot more stuff that you, I think, that would probably be unnecessary. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just easier to get a first focal plane at that point. <laughs> yeah. After all, yeah, first focal plane is designed to make using the scope on other magnifications and the reticle Correct. just easier yep. and quicker. Now, one thing I will point out, I talked with Scott, who was on the uh, Long Range 1002 in the PRS uh, podcast. I talked with Scott about the EBR4 that's in the PST Gen 2 second focal planes. And interesting fact about that one, if you look on the vertical stadia, the bottom vertical stadia, I feel like bottom vertical left, right, the lower stadia going down where you would ordinarily like hold over for your shots as they drop or something like that, there are wider hash marks. Now that's a second focal plane rifle scope with a glass etched reticle. Mm-hmm. And it has these wider hash marks occasionally and I was asking him why it has varying levels of, of width. And he said that most of the time when somebody would be using a Christmas tree, we'll use the phrase again, style reticle, they're not holding off, you know, way, way out to the edge of that tree. A lot like I'd say maybe if you 80-20 it, you know, 80% of the time you're using 20% of the dots, which are closer yeah. to that mm-hmm. vertical stadia, that center vertical bit. stadia. You only need to hold off a little bit. And so by putting in those wider hash marks on that on that reticle, it doesn't clutter you up with a full tree. But when you are on the calibrated magnification, you can hold over and you can hold out to the edge of those wider stadia or those those wider hash marks and mm-hmm. almost use it like a quasi... Yeah, that makes Still a reference sense. point of some yeah, sort. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. And there's varying levels of width, too. There's like a thin... There's three. There's like a really thin one, a medium one, and then a wide yeah. one. Makes it a little bit easier to bracket the, the width of where you're sitting. Yeah. 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 I think that's a cool Makes sense, yeah. Right no, that's, that's totally cool. You know, and, and I think one thing to point out, and this is just based on my personal experience, but I think if a person is you know, transitioning or, or maybe they're used to a, you know, a duplex or, or a BDC style reticle. It's maybe a little bit more, you know, simple, cleaner reticle. A scope that I hunt a lot personally is the Viper HSLR 6 to 24 by 50, which is a first focal plane. It's got a windage tree or Christmas Mm -hmm. tree. 
yeah. whatever you want to call it. And like what we talked about earlier, predominantly when I use that scope and I'm shooting, you know, at distance, I dial my turret. And if I need to hold wind, I just hold wind off the reticle. But that's a pretty complex reticle, right? Or, I mean, there's a lot going on. I shouldn't say it's complex. There's, you know, there's a lot of information. Relative to a, a regular hunting BDC yeah. traditional. Yeah. I never see any of what I'm not using when I'm executing that shot. It never, it, goes it never, away. it just away. goes away. In fact, I feel like when you're using a reticle like that, I mean, you're concentrated so much on the center of the reticle unless you're utilizing those marks. If you're not utilizing those marks, they just right. they disappear from your mind. Yeah. And it's not like, I mean, there's very few occasions where you're actually using that to locate something. And that's if you have maybe two shooters side by side and one's using their reticle for uh, trying to measure somebody's misses mm-hmm. um, and try to get them on mm-hmm. target. That's That's where... The only time that I can really see you using a rifle scope to try to locate a target <laughs> because that's what binoculars and spotting scopes are for, which, you know, and, and we don't really touch on that at all, but, you know, spotting scopes with, with uh, built-in reticles. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. but that's more of uh, it, it's kind of like using the, the two-shooter dynamic except for one guy doesn't have a rifle. The other guy's got a high-magnification spotting scope. Right. So, I mean... Those are the big things I want to touch on the first focal plane, kind of more complex reticles. We I, we talked about it a lot as we transitioned these milling-style reticles. I do have another. I want to talk about low-power variables because we skipped over those a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. But was there anything else on the first focal plane ones that you guys were going to point out? Uh, as far as in correlation to first focal plane, not me. I mean, Or just like the more complex, like, you, you know, things with Christmas trees or... You know, 0.2 mil hash marks or, you know, that stuff. Or Well, if you look at, like, um, our Gen 2 razors, or actually in our PST Gen 2s as well, uh, the first focal plane models, um, with their, like our EBR2C reticle, for instance, they have an open center so that, you know, no matter how small your target is, you, you can you can see it. Mm. And uh, um, it's pretty easy to bracket where the, the center that is. I mean, Couldn't do that with a wire. <laughs> yeah, not very easily. <laughs> <laughs> And then, you know, at the very edges, the subtensions will, like in the 4.5 to 27, the subtensions do break down to a tenth of a mil. So if you are measuring, you know, your target to try to determine a range, you are in a very fine subtension. And if, you know, you can actually get down to a 0.05 mils using that reticle because you can extrapolate between the two lines. So you can get very defined with actually determining the distance to a target with something like that which is really difficult uh, measuring down to uh, 0.05 mils on something like our VMR1 reticle, which is a a wire reticle, and Mm -hmm. it's only available in second focal plane because of the reticle design. Right. So with that said, now like I said, I wanted to transition real quick back to the low-power variables. One question I've seen some people ask, so we've got the Razor Gen 2 and the PST Gen 2 1 to 6s, and they use a VMR2, which is a milling reticle, slight modification on the one that's in the HST. And then they also have, I guess the Razor has the JM1 BDC, which we talked a little bit about, about the BDCs. Reasoning behind those scopes having a different reticle than the Strike Eagles. Type of illumination is from what I can... Ab- absolutely, yeah. the illuminated center dot, daylight bright on the Razor 1-6 to and PST2 versus, you know, the Strike Eagle is going to be more of your lower price point, um, more economical, professional grade intensity. Something you rely on more in low light condition versus... Hey, this needs to behave like a red dot at at yeah know, it, it, at high noon. You yeah, know? <laughs> just a different technology than going into the into the reticle to make that daylight bright, which is yeah, it's it is interesting. Especially the the nice thing about those two scopes too is their one X is so red dot like when yeah. you flick that. It's got a huge eye box. I mean, it, it yeah. does not take much to to be behind that optic. Your head can be fairly off center and still be able to see through your optic great. So it's it's very fast and very intuitive, kind of like a, a red dot is the simplicity factor. But the uh, like Jim said, the reason why that reticle is designed the way it is is because the the functionality of the reticle and how the illumination works, that center dot is able to be so bright. We have some guys using those things overseas that um, they need to be able to see that in in the brightest, ugliest, hot conditions, you know. But they need to be able to use it in the middle of the day too. Now it's not just for at night, so. Yeah, I mean, that's that professional grade illumination, the difference there a little bit. Yeah. Would you say it's safe to say, though, that like the Strike Eagle kind of makes up for it? That daylight bright center illumination is, is it more important or is it safe to say it's more important on 1X when you're trying to use it like a red dot? That is where it's really important. Where it's really important. Now, the Strike Eagles, they do have that sort of broken circle around Mm -hmm. the center 
of the uh, of the reticle, which kind of makes up for the fact that they don't have the same technology going into yeah, making it does. daylight bright, right? That broken circle around the uh, the center uh, will bring your eye to the center of the reticle and allow you to acquire the target very quickly as well. That's why it's so popular in the three gun world because people need to shoot fast. Mm-hmm. You know, um, a lot of law enforcement department actually use that as well because it is so quick and uh, it's very versatile. I think that that I think that broken circle even correlates. You can even do some ranging with the. I believe it's like 18 inches outside. On, on yeah, the exact numbers are a little spacey for me. I can't remember, but yeah, it's it's like shoulder width on the inside portion of the horseshoe, the actually, broken horseshoe portion, and then all the lines on their I way. The down. hash marks going down. They actually start larger and get smaller because they're bracket they're to the shoulders. Yep, mm-hmm. bracket to shoulders, 18 inches. I think yeah. that's what it is. And the one to eight does the opposite. The strike equal one to eight it has a floating center dot. And then it actually goes, starts thin, and then gets wider. But that's because it's... It's geared it's for windage. good for wind. Yep. Five and ten mile an hour wind holds. Just different applications. Absolutely. Yeah, usually the guy picking up the one eight um, is starting to toy with the idea of taking things out to a little bit longer range where the uh, compensating for wind is more important. So that's why that one's a little bit more geared for wind holds, whereas a strike eagle one to six is a little bit more geared for uh, determining the range of the target and, and taking a, a, a quick shot at it. Definitely. Well, I think we hit, oh, there's there's two kind of more specialty reticles. I'd be curious if Mark can speak to these. The Razor LH, it's got some, I was about to say, <laughs> I think we've covered pretty much everything, but there's two oddball reticles in the Razor LH family, and there's an, it's an HSR4 mm-hmm. and a G4 BDC. Mm-hmm. Why did the Razor LH have to get a different style of BDC than all the other ones? It just wanted to feel special. <laughs> <laughs> that was it? No, I mean, so... I really like those reticles. I think you know? they're awesome. I just, they're like, it's kind of interesting. How you get they're only localized. Found there. To, yeah. Yeah. They are, you know, I mean, predominantly I'd say hunting oriented scope, you know, for anybody that's not familiar with the Razor HDLH, it's definitely one of my favorites. The, the LH stands for light hunters. They're very, they're very lightweight. It's a very clean, elegant rifle scope. I'd say from an aesthetic, it's, you know, follows kind of like your more traditional hunting rifle scope, you know, from the exterior optically. They kill it. I mean, they are a, they are an outstanding. I mean, just the the clarity, resolution, color, fidelity. I mean, that is a crisp optic when you look through it. You can tell how much I like this optic. Actually, just probably it's an outstanding optic. It's um, hard not to. I think honestly, I'd love to hear what you have to say about your wife and the kids. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> They're all right. They're, yeah, pretty good. Yeah, nice people. But the LHs. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's actually an optic. I would suggest anybody who's looking for an honey optic look through because that's mm-hmm. where it shines. You can be like, oh yeah, it looks like a rifle scope. Then you look through like, oh, Whoa. all right, that's the one I need. Yeah. But anyway, getting back to the reticle, which is what we're talking about. So, you know, the G4 BDC is kind of, I guess, a hybrid with maybe like, uh, you know, the German number four, you know, if anybody's kind of familiar with that, and a BDC and a target dot. Right, yeah, because it has the floating dot because it's a glass edge reticle in there. It is, it is. It's a, it's a little bit bolder, you know, than uh, the HSR-4, which, you know, kind of has that more, I guess, you know, standard ruler-like sub-tension marking. In both of them, though, and this is maybe what you're getting at, the upper hemisphere, I guess, of the field of view doesn't have a vertical stadia. Yeah. Which, it leaves it really open. I mean, you can really see what's going on, you know, great subject acquisition, but then, you know, when you want to let that shot rip, obviously, you know, Pen the center where you want it and let her go if they, you're holding on. They let the optic do what optics are good at, which is making stuff look closer and nice. Yes. And they let the reticle do what reticles are good at, which is providing some information for bullet drop compensation and windage holds. What you said. And like that. Everything about those scopes is like, let everything that's really nice do what it should do and don't do anything else. Yes. That's kind of neat. Yeah, they're geared towards simplicity and, mm-hmm. and, and high optical quality, and they are... You want a, you want an optic that you can start using late into into dusk and early into dawn. Um, I mean, the light transmission through those things are ridiculous. They're just perfect for hunting. Mm-hmm. You got a, a you know just a very high quality hunting scope. And if you're choosing between those reticles, the G4 is nice because it's it's even simpler than the HSR4, mm-hmm. and it's thicker, right? Mm-hmm. So you can see it against it pops more against maybe thick brush. Yep. Uh, you can see it a little bit better in low light situations. Right. Yep. Is that safe to say? Yeah, and there is something. There's just something to be said for that target dot too. Yes, yeah. there is. There's something <laughs> to be said about it. 
And then there's the HSR4, which has it's it has a milling component to it. Absolutely. And that's kind of what it's tended to do. Yeah. It's somebody who's maybe a little bit more adept at using milling reticles, but they, they cross over to hunting would choose the HSR4, perhaps. Yeah, like that, that person has most likely definitely gone through the process of getting their ballistic data for the load that they're pushing through their rifle. They have that information on them, whether that's in the form of, uh, you know, ballistic chart that they've taped to their stock, which is, you know, what I do oftentimes, or, you know, keep it in your pocket, whatever, keep it handy. You know, they they probably plan on the scenario where they may want to take, you know, an extended shot and, and have that, you know, be able to use those uh, those MOA hash marks in, in the reticle. Awesome. I think we hit all of our reticles, pretty much. What do you probably, got? Wait, what did we miss? EBR7B in the AMG. I would say it's our most advanced reticle. Ooh, we did not talk yeah. about okay. it. Nick. We were talking, I, yeah, I kind of clumped <laughs> I forgot that in. That. I kind of clumped that yeah. in with the with the Christmas tree styles. Yeah. But what, so what is it that's different, There's I guess, about that from all the other? Two differences that I, I'm quite fond of, and this is my favorite reticle that we currently have because of how dynamic it is. I mean, it does have the Christmas tree level, and it actually has a lot of the similar design as our EBR2C, which is like an Gen 2 razor. It does have a target dot in the center, a very fine dot. And it also has, on the horizontal stadium line, you have subtensions in both half minute of angle on the, I believe it's it's on the bottom section. Or I'm sorry, not half minute of angle. Half mil on the bottom section, and on top you have two tenths. So one of the things that a lot of people are looking for in an optic to be able to hold off for a wind is something that's in two-tenths increments because you can bracket it down to a tenth of a mil or hold up to two-tenths of a mil. Um, and then being able to have both two-tenths and five-tenths on one line without being cluttered is really nice. And it's super hmm. handy for somebody trying to be a precision shooter. Yeah. Excellent. Well, there you have it. Nick, let's call that your last call because MC Ryan pointed at me and let me know that we're somewhere around an hour. And then we'll just finish up our last calls with Jimmy, Mark, and, uh, and myself and then close it out. What do you think? Cool. Thanks, Thanks for reminding discussion. us of that, Nick. Jimmy, what do you got for last last closing thoughts? We can come back to you if you want, like a restaurant if you want. <laughs> just, <waiter>. pick out, <laughs> just pick out a reticle based on your application. All, whenever you're trying to pick out the right scope, the right reticle for what you're trying to do, always, always start with the application in mind ask what am I going to use this for and then look at reticles that might be more geared toward that I've I've had better luck trying to do it that way than trying to pick out the reticle that I think either looks cool or you know might be something I want to try and then fit an application into it rock on well I was going to say uh, pick pick it because it looks cool but um you can dang it Now, Jim kind of squashed that. Uh, Still good. Fun wrecker. (laughs) No, I mean, I think Jim nailed it, man. Pick the application first. And and I guess I'd follow that with, if you haven't used some of these more complex reticles, don't be scared of them. Don't be intimidated by them. It's actually, in a lot of ways, if you are going to shoot at extended ranges or or need, you know, ballistic compensation, they're only going to help you. Yeah. I'll say this, and it's that, okay, so you guys said pick pick your application first and then pick a reticle, which I think is a good way to go. I think a lot of people have reticles in the rifle scopes, on their guns, in their safe right now, and they don't understand maybe everything that that reticle is capable of. And I think that, that that's one thing that I find a ton of fun. I, I like jerry-rigging things, making stuff work, and, you know, even with a duplex reticle, you think it's the simplest reticle in the world, it's got, if you look up the subtension data, which all, all reticles, I know at least for us, this, mm-hmm. you can find the subtension data on the website. If you can't find it, hit us up. We'll tell you where it is. And those lines have a thickness, and that thickness can be measured in MOA. And if you use that thickness, that line, you can start bracketing things. Now, granted, you're not going to be able to do a ton with that, you know, but even uh, I know that on our V-plex, it goes from a thick bar then to a, a thin bar towards the center crosshair. Mm-hmm. You can understand the the distance between you know the the two the left mm-hmm. and the right portion where it goes from thick to thin. You can know that, and you could say, okay, well I know that X MOA at this distance is roughly this big. You know, so if I see something that's roughly that big and I can bracket it between those two points, I know it's about that far away. Your reticle might have been designed to be a BDC, it might have been designed to literally just be the simplest crosshair ever. But if you start picking apart all the different measurements on it, you can really start to use it for all kinds of different things. And that's, I don't know, if nothing else, it's just fun to do when you're at the range. You can start seeing how far away stuff is or, you know, knowing where to hold over or, oh, I know that if my 
if the wind is blowing like this, I know the edge of that hash mark is XM away over to the right and to the left, so I can hold over with that, and it's pretty slick. Yeah. That's I like my that last one. call. I like that one, Jim. Really dive deep into your reticles, because I guarantee they can do way more than you thought they could. There may be more than meets the eye. There may be. All right. What do you say, guys? I think that was a pretty solid reticle podcast. Yeah. yeah. Call and us I, if you have questions on stuff, too. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. You have so Extension many Extension five. Yeah. Yep, up. Absolutely. All righty. Thanks, guys, for jumping on. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. We'll end it with a bye. All right. Bye. 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 All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show, maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like, so that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. You can also follow us on Instagram at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released, so that way you can go back, find these things, maybe grab a little nugget of information that you could take with you to the range, out in the field, or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So, again, everybody, thanks, and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.